This morning we'll be looking at uh, Genesis chapters 13 and 14. We'll be following Abram. This morning we'll focus on Abram and the battle of the kings. And this event in the life of Abram raises a lot of questions. And it's, there are so many details lacking that I wish we had another book just telling us how we got from the time that Pharaoh... Uh, figured out that Sarah was Abram's wife to the point where he gets to the Oaks of Mamre. A lot of stuff apparently takes place that we don't know anything about. So as we go through the story today, you'll see how many interesting details are given that are simply glossed over. We don't know where they came from, where they went, or what happened. But this story here has a purpose, and it will take a little thinking and a little uh, biblical detective work to figure out how this episode relates to the larger picture of salvation, the overarching thing of salvation, but it is there. We are to learn from this episode or these episodes in the life of Abram so that we ourselves as his children can model ourselves after how he conducted himself there while he was in the time of his sojourn. God had promised to him that he would, he would inherit the land of Canaan, he and his seed after him. And so far, he has not inherited a single thing. So let me pray. And uh, we will look at Genesis 13 through 14. Lord, I pray that you will be with us this morning. That you will help us to be a faithful people in the land which you have placed us. And that we, like Abram before us, will be faithful witnesses. That you, Lord, you alone are the one who can make our name great. And we become great by humbling ourselves and serving others. Lord, I pray that you will help us to be that kind of a people today. Lord, be with us and bless us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I'm going to go over this really quickly without having to read all of chapter 13. I'll tell you what happens. After Pharaoh says, hey, Abram, this is your wife and not your sister. Get out of here. And so he leaves. It's a good idea. Takes off. And Lot, his nephew, is still with him. And God blesses Abram. And he blesses Lot. Because remember, the Lord said, whoever blesses you, I will bless. And so Lot uh, apparently loves his uncle, as we'll see. His uncle certainly loved Lot very much. And as they went, God increased their flock, and they became so great that there in the desert where they're wandering, there's not a lot of places for the uh, goats and sheep, their herds to eat. Uh, Lot and Abraham's herdsmen begin to fight over grazing ground and over uh, watering holes. And Abram pulls Lot aside and says, listen, we're kinsmen, you're my nephew. Let's don't have any strife between me and you from our herdsmen. He says, look here, this entire land is before us. If you choose the right... I'll go left. You choose the left, I'll go right. Lot, you, you decide whichever way you want to go. And Lot takes a look at the land and he looks and he sees that the place is well watered there in the Jordan Valley and he looks towards Sodom and Gomorrah and in that time before God had destroyed it, it was apparently a very lush place. And Lot goes east, pitched his tent as far as Sodom. And remember we said in the Bible that going east is symbolic of going the wrong way in the book of Genesis. So when When Lot decides to go east and he heads towards Sodom, there's a little uh, note there by the narrator that tells us, Now the people of Sodom were exceedingly wicked against the Lord. So Lot, though he chose a place that looked great, the people in it were not so great, and it's going to cause him a lot of problems. So Abram, as true to his word, Lot goes to the east towards Sodom, and uh, so that means Abram is left to wander to the west. And as we see here, after Lot separates from him and the, the party is sort of torn in half, the Lord comes to Abram and 
verse 14 of chapter 13. It says, The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land that you see I will give to you and to your seed or offspring forever. And I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron. And he built an altar there to the Lord. Now the oaks of Mamre, Mamre is not a city. As we're going to see, Mamre is a person. So this place, uh, the author is noting here, this place where Abram goes belongs to someone else. It's not Abram's. These are the oaks of Mamre. In chapter 14, we'll, we'll continue reading. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar. Shinar, by the way, is Babylon. In the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elasser, and Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king, king of Goyim. These kings made war, made war with Bera, king of Sodom, Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shemember, king of Zeboim, uh, and the king of Bela, that is Zoar. And all these joined forces in the valley of Sidim, that is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they had served Chedorlaomer, but on the thirteenth year they rebelled. And then the fourteenth year, Chedorlaomer, Chedor, I can't say his name, and the kings who were with him came and defeated the Rephaim and the Ash, Ashtaroth Karnaim and the Zuzim and Haim and Imim and Sheva, yes, and the Horites in their hill country of Seir as far as El Paran on the borders of the wilderness. Then they turned back and came to this other place and defeated all the Malachites and the Amorites who were with them. All right, so then the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, the king of Adma, the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, they joined battle in the valley of Sidim with Chedorlaomer, king of Elam, Tidal, king of Goim, Amraphel, king of Shinar, Ariok, king of Elisar, four kings against five. So it's epic battle taking place. And the valley of Sidim was full of bitumen pits. And as the king of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some of them fell into the pits, and the rest fell into the hill country. So the enemy took all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah all of their possessions and went their way. They also took Lot, the son of Abraham's brother. They take Abram's nephew, who is dwelling in Sodom, and his possessions and went their way. Then one who had escaped came and told Abraham, Abraham the Hebrew. See, we don't even know why he's called the Hebrew. This is, by the way, this comes out of nowhere. There he is, Abraham the Hebrew who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eschol and of Aner. You guys know all these people so well. These were allies of Abram. And when Abram heard his kinsmen had been taken captive, he said, oh no. Well, that's not in the Bible, but that's what he said, I guess. He led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them. And he went in pursuit as far as Dan. And he divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman Lot with his possessions and the women and the people. After his return from the defeat of Chedorlaomer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheva, that is the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor or creator of heaven and earth, 
And blessed be God most high who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abram rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Aner, Eshcol, and Mamre take their share. All right, that was a lot there. And I, I tried to get those names right for you. But, you know, go listen to your read through the Bible in a year thing and listen to a professional pronounce them better. But something very exciting is happening here in the ancient Near East. At this time, what is happening is everybody seems to be king of their own city. Well, these guys come in from the east and they start beating everybody. The kings of Sodom and their allies decide they're going to fight a battle with them and they get beat. Well, before all that, we, we see that God has been faithful to Abraham, or Abram still at this time, that he is wandering in a land that is not his own, so this is really not even his quarrel. There's no reason for him to get involved. He's not even from around here. He doesn't have anything to protect. God has made him rich. We see that, and there's some really strange things that pop up in here that we had no idea about. First of all, the Bible says he's made him greatly rich in silver and gold, but he's got 318 trained soldiers that were raised up in his house. Like, where did these guys come from? Well, they came from his house, Brad. Didn't you just read that in the Bible? Yeah, but the Bible hasn't mentioned that. Look, Abraham, Abram might be wandering around by the oaks of Mamre, but he's got 318 trained men in his house ready for war. I don't even know how many other herdsmen he must have. So when we say that God has blessed Abram, he's a pretty big deal. Uh, he's got 318 armed servants at his command. And so, even though this is not his fight, his nephew has gone down into Sodom and uh, someone escapes from Sodom. When Apparently, when the armies were defeated, those other kings came in there. They just started taking all the stuff, including the people, to enslave them. And so, one of those people escapes and runs up to Abram and says, Hey, Abram, they got your nephew, man. And he says, Saddle up, get the trained men, we're going to get them back. This is like a western, except it's in the east, so it's an eastern. <laughs> Abram is not putting up with it. So they think about this. This is There's a point to this is coming. Just wait for it. But for now, just enjoy the eastern. Instead of saddling up horses, I imagine they all get on camels. I don't know. But he says, look, we're going to get them, 318 of us. We're going to go down. Even though these are four kings who just whooped five kings. And Abram's going after them by himself. <laughs> this is awesome. I love this part. So Abram does it. He goes and he beats them and he does what five kings have failed to do. He beats Chertelamar and his allies and he frees all the captives, gets all the stuff back and takes it back to the Oaks of Mamre. He's headed back. Well, he gets to the Valley of Sheva and then another mystery character appears. So here we've got Abram. It's like, whoa, Abram's got 318 guys and apparently he's really good at fighting because he just beat these four kings. And here comes Melchizedek king of peace so Melchizedek's name literally in Hebrew as you all uh, will know after today Melchizedek means king of righteousness that's what his name means king of righteousness so the king of righteousness who is the king of peace Salem 
or you may have heard salam in Arabic, means peace. In Hebrew, it's shalom, which is peace. So the king of peace, king of righteousness comes and meets with Abram. And he blesses him. This is when the story gets uh, even more interesting. Who is this guy, by the way, Melchizedek? Who, where, he, he comes from nowhere. And the book of Hebrews mentioned this. He comes out of nowhere. We don't know who this guy is. But Abram apparently knows him. The king of righteousness comes, blesses Abram, and leaves, and we do not hear another thing from him ever. Who is this guy? Who appointed him priest of the Most High God? How did he become king of Salem? We do hear of him one other time in the Old Testament. Psalm 110. We hear of Melchizedek. Here's where Melchizedek comes up again. The Lord said to my Lord, I'm quoting from Psalm 110, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's it. So who is this guy? Well, I I don't know. And when you add to this mystery character that Melchizedek blesses Abraham, then it gets even more interesting. Now, we know that Abram has been chosen by God to be the one who inherits all of the promised land, right? He's going to inherit all the land of Canaan. It is through him that the Messiah is going to come. We know that. Abram knows that. Because the seed that was promised to Eve, all that, that seed that has gone down to Shem, and now it's coming to Abram, going to come to Isaac, to Jacob. Abram is looking for Messiah. So Abram is the father of Messiah, the ancestor of Messiah, the one who's going to inherit the land of Canaan. Yet he is tithing to Melchizedek and being blessed by Melchizedek. And in the book of Hebrews it says it is beyond dispute that the lesser is blessed by the greater. So this guy Melchizedek is quite the character He is a priest and king of the Lord, which is also different from what goes on in the Old Testament. Remember, David was of the tribe of Judah, right? That's where the kings come from, Judah. And where did the priests come from? Tribe of Levi. They had the separation of temple and state in those days. The kings didn't go mess around with the Levitical priesthood and taking care of the temple. And and when they did, there were severe consequences. One king tried it and he got leprosy. Don't do that. And the priests themselves, they were never going to be part of the king. Uh, They were not going to be in the line of the kings. But this guy, Melchizedek, is both priest and king over Jerusalem, the place where David will eventually put his capital. And so the writer of Hebrews in chapter 7 seizes upon this. And he explains to us that what we are seeing here in Melchizedek represents for us something greater. He's talking about, uh, in Hebrews chapter 7, Jesus Christ himself Psalm 110 that I just read to you. You may find this interesting. I did when I first learned it. Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Jesus uses it to argue to the Pharisees that he is the Messiah. And after he explains Psalm 110 to them, they can't say anything to him. Because he asks him, he says, hey, David wrote Psalm 110, right? They're like, yeah, that's right, that's right. They said, well, how is it then? That David can say to his son, the Lord said, or Yahweh said, to my Lord, why does David call his own son Lord? Now, it doesn't happen, right? The king is the king, 
And the son is the prince until the king dies. The king's not calling the son Lord. The son calls the king Lord. But in Psalm 110, when David is speaking, he says, The Lord said to my Lord, who could be David's Lord? And the Pharisees realized, oh, that's a good question. Because whoever the son of David is that is his Lord outranks King David, who's supposed to inherit the land and all the world in our theology. And so he's calling this guy Lord. It can be none other than the Messiah. And Psalms 110, Psalm 110 says that Jesus will be like a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not like after the order of Levi, because Jesus is going to be king and priest. He's not going to be only king. So here we have a picture in Abram submitting to Melchizedek, being blessed by him and tithing to him, how we are supposed to react to Jesus Christ our Lord. He is our king and he is our priest also. So those of us who want to be sons of Abraham must react to Jesus the same way that Abram reacted to Melchizedek. Now, I don't know if Melchizedek was what we call a theophany, if this was an appearance of Jesus before time. I don't think so. I think Melchizedek was an actual character about whom we know very little. But like I said earlier, I would like some extra books here. Like, where did the 318 men come from? How did Abram get so rich and where did Melchizedek come from and where did he go? I don't know those things. But what I do know is this. Jesus Christ, the son of Abram, is the priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And like Melchizedek, he is able to bless us in the name of the God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And we must worship Jesus and we must obey him both as Lord and as priest. So that means two things to us as it is Shown here from Melchizedek himself. Melchizedek makes the offering. Jesus makes the offering of himself. That is how he is our priest. He went into the most holy place. Not made by men's hands. In other words he didn't go into the temple. That was in Jerusalem. But he went into the actual presence of the Lord. Not with the blood of bulls and goats. But with his own blood. And so as priest of us. He makes intercession for us. That we might be saved. Not with the blood of bulls and goats. But with his own blood. And not only is he our priest. He is our king. And that means if we confess with our mouth. That Jesus is Lord. And believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So there he is, king, he is Lord, raised from the dead, priest, sacrifice for our sins, king over our souls and our hearts. That means when, if you want to be saved, Jesus must also be your Lord. That means you have to follow him and do what he says, whether we like it or not. And sometimes you won't understand and sometimes you won't like it as your flesh quarrels against the words of the Lord. But you must do that in order to be saved. So here comes... Melchizedek, priest of God, to bless Abram. Blessed be Abram by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And then Abram, and remember, the king of Sodom is here hearing this. And the Bible's already said they're very wicked. And so after he blesses him, Abram gets a tenth of all the stuff. And he gives it to Melchizedek. And that's when the king of Sodom pops up. He says... Wait, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. As if he's saying, it's okay if you give that stuff to him, but give me the people. Well, first of all, who is this guy to ask for anything? Abraham just beat up the guy who beat him up and took the stuff. Now, remember earlier when I was telling you he had 318 men, he was very rich, he was very wealthy, and he went in and he whooped this king that five kings in the area couldn't whoop. Whoop is a good theological word. You can look it up later. 
So why does this guy think he can say anything to Abraham? What would you do if you were Abraham? See, this is where the story is so good. Abraham was able to defeat the invading kings. I would think that maybe he could defeat the kings who were already there. But he didn't. He dwelled by the oaks of Mamre and never lifted his sword against a single individual that lived in there except to rescue Lot, even though he might could have taken it for himself. You remember when King David was anointed king of Israel, there was only one problem with that. There was already a king in Israel, and his name was Saul. And you remember when King David's son of Abraham caught Saul sleeping, and his men said what? Take your spear, now's your big chance. Stick it through Saul and you'll be king. God's already anointed you, promised you to be king over Israel. And what did David say? I'm not lifting up my hand against the Lord's anointed. He's just like his father, Abraham. Exactly. Abraham says to Sodom, he knows what's going on in the king of Sodom's mind. He said, listen, I'm not taking a single thing from you. I have swore to Yahweh. By the way, and this affirms that Yahweh, Jehovah, is the same God that uh, Melchizedek is talking about because he says, I swear before Yahweh, the covenant name of the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, I'm not taking a thread from you or sandal strap lest you say I have made Abraham rich. Because he knew good and well that if he took the stuff that the king of Sodom being a wicked man is going to go grouse to everybody. Well, Abram kept all the stuff. And yeah, he's a rich guy, but it's because he's got all the stuff that belonged to me. Abraham Abram said, no, I'm not going to take the promised land by force of arms. I'm not going to take the, the, the goods of the land, though God has given it to me, uh, by force of arms, even though I deserve it, I took it back. Because in the end, remember the theme, it's not me who's going to make my name great. It is God who will make my name great. Two times King David had saw, uh, King Saul at his mercy. Once was when they all fell asleep and he could have, the Lord put them to sleep, the Bible says. He could have easily killed them and he didn't. He put his spear in the ground beside Saul's head, walked off and said, Hey Saul, father, my father, wake up. See, I'm not hunting you. I'm not trying to usurp you. I could have killed you and I didn't. A second time, they almost caught David and David was in a cave hiding. He's hiding out in a cave, a bunch of dudes in the back of the cave, like, be quiet, there's people out there, lots of people. And Saul goes into that cave by himself to use the bathroom. And it says that he covered his feet. Y'all can go home and look up what that means, but like David is standing there and Saul is using the bathroom right here and his dudes won't shut up. He's, they're like, kill him, he's right, right, right there, kill him, kill him. Like, I'm not killing him, shut up. That's sort of how that conversation went if they had been from Sand Mountain. Be quiet. So Saul does his business, which must have been, picture that scene. He had to go bad. So off he goes, and they're all just sitting there going, oh, my goodness. Like, this is me holding my spear going, oh, my goodness. So finally he walks out, and everybody you know, steps around, I guess, where he just did his business. And he's like, hey, Saul, you just walked in the cave where I was, and I didn't kill you. Why? What does this have to do with Abram? What does this have to do with us? What does this have to do with the story? Remember the sin of the people of Babel. Let us build a tower 
that will reach up into heaven so that we might make a name for ourselves. And God scattered them to the ends of the world and said, this will be the people of name, those who come after in the line of Shem, not the people, and Shem means name, not the people who tried to build Babylon and make for themselves a name. Here is Abram given the entire land. God says it's yours. Walk around in it, friend. Abram was a friend of God. Walk to the north, walk to the east, walk to the west, walk to the south. Look around everything here. It's yours and your people after you. Never once did he think, I've got 318 armed men and we are bad news. I'm going to go take what the Lord gave to me. Never once. King of Sodom, lost to the people, comes up. Abram could have taken him. He could have kept the stuff for himself, enriched himself, impoverished the king of the land, made him easier to control or take over. No. Go ahead and take the stuff and the people. I'm not going to say you made me rich because at the end of the day, at the end of the day, it's going to be the Lord who exalts me, not you. And then we have King David who two times could have taken the kingdom for himself but refused to do so because he said, I will not lift my hand against the Lord anointed. If he wants me to have the kingdom, the Lord will give it to me. And he did. And the greater descendant of Abraham and David is Jesus Christ. And how did he behave? How much of the promised land does Jesus own? (laughs) How much of the world does Jesus own? All of it. He could have walked into Jerusalem and said, hey, setting up the kingdom now, this is all mine. Anybody who doesn't want it, anybody who doesn't like it, uh, can contend with me. And we know that even at his words on the day when they, he was betrayed, when he spoke and said, I am he, that it knocked the people to the ground. He could have taken it any time he wanted, but he didn't. Why? Because the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Now, one day, at the Father's command, Jesus is returning. And in that day, the Father will put everything under the feet of Jesus, but not until. And so for us, we follow the example of Christ. We follow the example of Abraham. We follow the example of David. And all the apostles went before. We do not wage war as if we are waging war against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of this present darkness. We are waiting for the Lord to exalt us. We do not exalt ourselves for those who humble themselves the lord will exalt so this is how we are to be and this is how we are to behave and this is what we are to glean partly from what this is about here in genesis chapter 14 the humility of abram who dwelt by the oaks of mamre that again that's not a city that's a person he asked he has a big army it's pretty tough they can beat four kings at once and he says to Mamre do you mind if I dwell by your oaks it's beautiful it's beautiful this is the kind of people that we are to be humble not waging war as the world waits not saying give me mine give me mine but waiting to see what the Lord will do for us and if we live like that there's no wonder then that Jesus says that it is the humble who will inherit the earth The peacekeepers will be the ones exalted by God. This is the type of people we want to be. And this is the type of person that is shown to us here by Abram, who rescued his nephew Lot from his captors and was content with that. 
So, brothers and sisters, this morning, think about the example which is left to us from our father Abram, the father of our faith, at whose table one day we will eat in heaven. You don't have to be grabby out there in the world. You don't have to be worried about making a name for yourself. Trust the Lord, and he will exalt you in due time. Not by your works, not by your effort, not by your will, but by his. One day the Lord himself will make the enemies of Christ the footstool, and our King Jesus, who is after the order of Melchizedek forever, will sit on the throne and forever be our priest and intercede for us, that we never have to worry about the condemnation of our own sin. Live like this. Be people of faith like Abram. And always look for the land of promise. As we'll see, I don't want to give too much of the story away. But this was a pretty important place for him, the Oaks of Mamre. He goes and he wanders throughout the land. When Sarah dies, this is the place he comes back to. And this is the only place where he ever owns any land. And the only thing Abram died owning in the land that was promised to him was a tomb to bury himself and his wife in. And that was it. He died awaiting the fulfillment of the promise. And probably so will we. But one day, like our father, we will see it. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you will be with us and you will help us to be a faithful people. That we will be a people like our father Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and that we will look forward to the promise to come. That we won't go out into the world like... Uh, and, and fight with the world like, like the world fights. We will be content with the things that you have given us. We will be content, content walking in wisdom. We will be content with what is ours, and we will not try to take more.